Bethlehem, a promised Messiah, a deliverer that would come. I want to turn our attention to this Christmas season. Over the next several weeks, we will culminate a series that I've entitled God Came Near on Christmas Eve. And I want to kind of put a plug in for where we're going. Next Sunday, we will have our choir musical in the morning. We have a choir concert that evening with uh, William Carey students that will be a part of that, the chorale and others. And so you'll want to be a part of those. Invite friends to both of those musicals. Just a great opportunity for outreach as we sing the songs of the Savior. But as we think about this Christmas season, we begin to, to decorate the sanctuary in the church facility. You've probably decorated your home. You've probably hurried around shopping. If you haven't yet, there's still time, guys, so don't worry about that. There's plenty of time left. But I want us to begin thinking with fresh eyes and contemplating the event of Jesus coming to earth. God drawing near to us. God coming near. And today I want to share with you from one verse of scripture. I want you to turn your attention to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me give you the title of today's message. I, I want to share with you a message I've entitled, The Glory and Offense of Emmanuel. The Glory and the Offense of Emmanuel. Now, as you're turning there, hopefully you've gotten to Matthew 1. Hold your finger there, and I want you to take a little survey with me. I want to give you some words, and I want to see if maybe any of these words fit your experience, either currently, today, or during this holiday season. From Thanksgiving to Christmas, there, there are certain things that mark the mood. And uh, if, I, if I say one that resonates with you, just kind of raise your hand. You don't have to keep your hand up. You can raise it more than one time. But, but let me just give you a few words. As we consider the surroundings and the significance of the Christmas event, there are also all kinds of trappings that go along. How about these words? Hurried. Scattered. Stuffed. Wow, that got that hit home. How about forgetful? Busy. Packing. Wrapping. Traveling. Broke. I thought that would get it. Well, you're not alone, obviously. You know, someone has said that Christmas is the annual reminder of why Santa takes reindeer and not the interstate or Hardy Street. It's been said that Christmas is the reminder of how the mall got its name. Some of you will think of that one a little later, mall. Max Lucado said about Christmas these words, It's so amazing that a season of panic can so quickly become so. Christmas can be a more stressful time than any for many, but it's not just stressful. It is very real that you are not alone if this becomes for you a sad time. Perhaps it's sad because this year you're missing someone who is not here who was here last year. Perhaps, Lucado goes on to say, the sight of an occupied crib reminds you of a vacant one. The sight of a united family reminds you of a separated one. Lucado went on to say, an empty nest, an empty chair, an empty wallet, and without warning, Christmas can feel empty. It, it truly can be a tough time of year. And I would say this, if you're looking forward to December the 26th, 
more than you're looking forward to December the 25th, I have a word for you today. And that word is Emmanuel. God with us. It is the name that was given to Jesus upon his birth, but it was a name that had been promised and foretold long before. How near to us God has come. It's the promise that the angel gave to Mary, a promise that we would come to understand today far more fuller in fuller measure that, that he is not only with us, but he would come to live within us. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. We live in a culture of, of spiritual confusion. The world around us lives with deeply divided senses of what it is that truth really encompasses. The world around us, the secular world, has gotten to the place where the secular world believes that Christianity is one of many uh, perspectives on greater reality and that Christianity is probably far too narrow for most. And so they dismiss it or relegate it as bigoted or arrogant. To think that you could say you have the corner of the, the market on salvation through one person, Jesus Christ. But I want you to see that there's also spiritual confusion within the church today. That many today inside the church believe that the purpose of Christianity is that God would give me a fuller, richer experience of life. That he would give to me an experience of a happier, healthier life. And because of that, his uh, desire for me uh, would be that I would enjoy this life with fullness and happiness. And many would dismiss that as well and say that's too selfish. And that it is too unworthy of a person who really cares about the world. And because we have shaped an American design of the gospel, we've lost sight of the truth of what the Christmas event and Easter means and, and what Christianity is all about. The world around us sees, well, there's many ways to God and, and you find your own path. And Christianity within the church has become relegated toward this selfish, consumeristic mindset. I like the music, I like the style of the church, the size of the church. The people of the church, God wants me to be happy and he wants me to experience fullness. And because of that, people have turned a tainted and blind eye toward the church. And I want to speak over these Christmas holidays, especially to many of our college students that are here and will be home over the Christmas holidays. We're called to communicate the truth of the claims of Christianity to a lost and dying world. And if we get it wrong, if we miss it, if we don't understand it, then we'll miscommunicate who he really is. You see, I want you to see something very powerful from this text. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Very, very pointedly, very simply, Matthew said these words. Look, it means behold, watch, gaze. Look, the virgin will conceive a child... She will give birth to a son, and they will call him, you say it with me, Emmanuel, which means, say this with me, God with us. Can I tell you that to call any child Emmanuel, God with us, is both glorious and offensive. That's why I chose these words to call this the, the glory and the offense of Emmanuel. I mean, think about that. It is remarkably offensive to say this one is God. And if you and I are going to associate ourselves with Jesus Christ, we're going to be part of the offense. You need to recognize that. In this day and in this age, if you take the bold 
and simple truth claim, Jesus is the Christ, the only way to God, the only offer of salvation, the one who redeemed the world. If you say that, you're going to be offensive to some people. And we need to embrace that offense. You need to recognize that at the heart of our Christian faith, there is a cross and there is a crown. There is a glory that is coming. We know the promises of heaven. We know the promise of eternal life. But you cannot embrace that crown without embracing the cross. Jesus said, if you were to follow me, you would take up a cross and do so. That you would have a cross to bear. And that in bearing that cross, we would recognize the offense. And in looking toward and straining for that crown, we would see the glory. To be identified as a follower of Jesus, we must embrace both. You need to know of the offense that you'll be a part of and understand the glory and understanding, recognizing that it's worth it. Matthew said they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Here's what I want to do for this morning. I want to first speak of the offense. Let's just talk for a moment about this notion of who he is. God with us. Everybody say those three words with me. You ready? Let's say them again. God with us. This claim is that God is with us. The the very first word, these three words will impact everything about this sermon. God has come near to us. If you and I were to study religion, we would recognize that in mythology there's all kinds of stories. A, A library filled with stories of gods who came down or sent emissaries down to do all kinds of things on earth. Some of them unspeakable on a Sunday morning crowd. If you were to study Eastern religions, you think about Hinduism. There are 330 million gods. The idea, the notion, the thought of God. God coming down and being on earth is not foreign to other people, but Matthew is not saying a God came down. Matthew is not saying one of many gods came down. Matthew is not saying one of a pantheon of gods or a myriad of gods is coming down. Matthew is talking about the God. Matthew says to us, the God of the Old Testament has come down. Down. In fact, he's talking about the God of the Old Testament, and we know that because we are now in verse 23, but verses 1 and following give us the genealogy of this very God, whose name would be called Emmanuel. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew 1.1. It says this, it starts out this way, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. He was the promised Messiah. He was the one long anticipated all throughout the story of redemption. You see, you need to know this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The New Testament is bound to the Old. Why would I as your pastor challenge and encourage you to read through the Bible this year? To chronologically study and contemplate. Because everything that we have studied leads up to this pinnacle everything that we've studied leads up to these three words God with us God with us Jesus Christ made no claims of being a good teacher or a fine prophet he claimed he was God the central claim of Christianity is very pointedly that God made himself known in the Old Testament and he is the same God that came fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And as we consider that, I'll give you two very simple thoughts to hang on to. Promises made and promises kept. If you wanted to describe Christmas in four words, there it is. God promised he would come and he delivered on his promise. Promises made, promises kept. All of the revelation of the Old Testament is fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, which God are we talking about? When it says, God with us, she'll bear a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Which God? Well, the God who has revealed himself. I want to give you two or three very quick points about the Old Testament that we need to consider. Uh, Just a few thoughts. Number one, and you may want to jot these down. The Old Testament tells us there is only one God. The Old Testament is very pointed and clear. There is but one God. The Jewish people recognized it. You see, Matthew is talking about the God who covenanted with, he promised one man, Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all nations through one nation, through one people, the Jews. And he would, uh, as his people and their God, he would come together with them and he would demonstrate who he is and what he's like and what he expects. And that would be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. There's but one God. The Bible also is very clear there in the Old Testament. He is known because of self-revelation. You would know nothing of God, but he revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses. He was the creator of all things. The Bible pointed toward that. He's the one who gives life and gives breath to people everywhere. All people of every generation, of every culture, and throughout time. God is the one. That means that all people of all cultures and every generation of every time are all accountable to him. Whether they know him or not. Whether they believe in him or not. Whether they choose to follow him or not. They are accountable to him and so are we. It doesn't matter what they believe about him because it doesn't change who he is. You see, when Matthew said... His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. He was pointing to a God who is, who exists, and who has revealed himself. And we know who he is and what he's like because of the revelation. Thirdly, I want you to see this. The Old Testament teaches us very pointedly this, that all other gods, and I used a lowercase g, all other gods are idols. Because there is only one true God, any claim to the title God is a product of human imagination. It is something that someone dreamed up or conjured up or or culturally experienced. And the history of idolatry, when a man or a woman would invent a God for themselves, whether they would carve and fashion something out of wood or of a precious stone or metal and worship it, any teaching that presents God in a way contrary to who he really is, is idolatry. (laughs) One teacher said it this way, one theologian, man's heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We constantly create ways to worship. We constantly create a God of our own choosing and making, a God that would give to us what we want. And again, that's what's led us to this place where we're so consumeristic and it's about us. And yet Matthew was not speaking to that kind of a situation at all. Matthew was speaking to the God who is Jesus, the fulfillment of all of those promises. We are constantly coming up for new ways to think of what we desire God to be, different from who he is. And in fact, this isn't new. The Old Testament is aware that the nations of the world worshipped other gods. They're named in Scripture. 
Molech and Baal and Dagon and Nebo and Asherah and Mot and Marduk. The Old Testament does not say that these are many different names for the one true God. They don't say that he's known by some different name. And yet that's what we do today. We take all these other God. Well, I, I'm sure that the God of Islam and the God of Buddhism and the God of uh, Christianity, it's just different paths to the same place. No. Emmanuel. God with us. God came near. There's, let me recap those things. There's only one creator, one God. He has made himself known and all other claims are idols. They're they're not gods at all. They're products of history and culture. So when we go back to our text and Matthew says, behold, look, a virgin will conceive a child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That claim in Matthew's day was so incredibly offensive. It was so offensive that a king would try his best to eradicate all of the Hebrew boys of that age. It was so offensive that when Jesus grew to a place of establishing himself and saying, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, they grabbed up stones and they tried to kill him. They tore their clothes and threw dust in the air and said, this is blasphemous. How can he claim to be God? And yet Matthew, calling on all of the promises of decades and even centuries of predictive prophecy, said, That, that, that ought to rattle you this Christmas season. It ought to spark in you a renewed sense of awe and wonder and glory that God has drawn near to us. That is central to the Christian faith. I, I said this often, that Christianity is not a faith of philosophy, but of history. That at a specific point in time, Jesus came into our world. He stepped into time and space. And it is critical for us to consider this, that it's not just some philosophical idea, but it is rooted in a person who revealed himself. Let me give you a couple of thoughts very quickly about this notion of God being with us. Number one, if Jesus is not God, then we don't know God. Think about this with me. I know Jesus Christ through the Gospels. We have eyewitness accounts. I believe what is written there. But if he is not God, I, I, I don't know God. And I don't even know where to begin looking for God. Because God is invisible. He is spirit. And because of that, without Jesus coming to earth, I, I would be lost. And so would you. We would have no reference point for searching for God. Where would we even look? In honoring Jesus, you are honoring God. In obeying Jesus, you are obeying God. In disobeying Jesus, you are disobeying God. In rejecting Jesus, you are rejecting God because Jesus is God. Make no mistake about it. Secondly, I want you to see this. If Jesus is not God, the death of Jesus on the cross is not an act of love but of cruelty. Think about it. What we understand about the cross is that it was a sacrifice for our sins, that he willingly gave himself. And yet, if he were not God and God just uh, randomly, capriciously picked one person to punish for the sins of others, those that he had not committed himself, it wouldn't be a demonstration of love. If Jesus was not God, it would be the ultimate act of injustice and cruelty and abuse, not love. 
If God victimized one person by causing him to bear the responsibility for my sin alone, let alone all of our sins, sentenced for crimes he didn't commit, that would be a miscarriage of justice, not just by Pilate or Caiaphas, but by God himself. And if God did that, you and I would probably even have room to be angry toward God and say, that is unjust. But Jesus is God with us. And God gave himself for you. And we can't fully grasp or understand or even explain the relationship between God the Father and the Son. But we do know this because Jesus is God with us. God was giving himself for us. Thirdly, if Jesus is not God, we cannot be sure of our final salvation. My hope of salvation rests on one firm conviction. That Jesus Christ has been exalted to the highest level of authority in all the universe. That he alone cannot be outsmarted, he can't be tricked, he can't be subverted, he can't be overrun or overruled, but he is the supreme authority. My salvation must stand upon that, that Jesus is who he said, and that he is able to deliver on all of his promises. If Jesus is not the ultimate authority, then you and I are hopeless. Would you agree with that? But but the Bible says that he is our ultimate authority. You see, if Jesus were not God, there would always be the possibility that he could be overrun or overruled or some force in heaven or in hell or in culture or history could prevail against him. But Jesus is God with us. If Jesus is not God, then we can pack up and go home. In fact, if Jesus were not God, I would want nothing to do with Christianity at all. It would be a bunch of people gathering together claiming to know God when they actually don't know anything more than anybody else. An out-of-date religion that's more about cruelty than love. And an out-of-touch, naive group of people who are far too certain about eternal things, which nobody can know for sure if Jesus were not. But ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake, Jesus Christ is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, of the triune Godhead. He is the Son of God, the one who left the glories of heaven and robed himself in flesh and came and took on the the servant mindset of humanity. And when he did, he submitted himself fully to the Father and lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary, vicarious death on your behalf. He died in your place so you would not have to. And he rose from the dead, conquering the grave that you could not conquer and giving to you salvation. And the Bible says that he was then ascended to the right hand of God the Father, given all authority in heaven and earth. He cannot be overrun. He cannot be overruled. He cannot be overturned. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is God with us. Central to the claim. You know, those very reasons are why thousands, if not millions, have rejected Christianity. Well, you're just out of touch. You can't know God. Are you ready to be associated with that kind of offense? History is filled with many great leaders who had great ideas, and Jesus is one of them. But our calling is not to proclaim him as one of many. Our calling is to proclaim Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. 
And when we make that claim, it will be offensive on your campus. It will be offensive at your Christmas dinner with your lost family members. It will be offensive with your co-workers. It will be offensive to a lost and dying world who do not want to submit themselves morally or ethically or spiritually to a higher authority. But Jesus is the authority and all will submit one day. You'll meet him either as Savior now or Judge later. I met him as Savior because my sins were met and judged at the cross. The world will call you narrow-minded, bigoted, arrogant, and intolerant. If you're going to live for Jesus, you better be ready to embrace the offense. But can I just encourage you, don't add to it. There are a lot of Christians who are arrogant and bigoted and narrow-minded and intolerant. Our calling is to be loving and gentle and compassionate as we look other people directly in the eye and say, I don't believe that you're an accidental product of science and random processes. I believe that you were made by a creator who loves you and has made himself known in history and has a plan and a purpose for your life. I I want you to know that because of his great love for you, he came into history in the person of a name, in the name of a, a man named Jesus. And by believing in him, you can know God and you can know everlasting life and peace with God forever. Let's be careful not to add to the offense. That's offensive enough to tell people something's wrong with you and you need the remedy, but the remedy is available. The world's agenda is very pointed. You need to hear this. Our world that we live in today does not have room for the God of the Bible. The world around us simply wants to get everybody on the same page. That's how and why the spirit of Antichrist will one day come. But God's agenda is this. God is with us. That's enough about the offense. Let's talk for a moment about the glory. Oh, I just want to shout as I consider those words. One verse of Scripture. He says, behold. I stopped there as I read it over and over again. I just pondered and I read the word behold. Behold. And it was as if the Spirit of God was speaking to my heart and saying, Scott, look. The virgin will conceive and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Why? God with us. Oh, that ought to make us shout. Oh, that ought to bring us to a rapturous, glorious place of absolute, infinite joy. God with us. God with us. God with us. Maybe that does nothing for you, but I wrote it like that over and over again this week. And just in my mind, meditated on each of those. This is God we're talking about. And He is actually with us. And He is with us. Now, here's a question for you. Pastor, who is us? You ever thought about that? Is the us that He's talking about the Jews? Could it be the Americans? Is it people who live a good life? Is it all sincere people? I mean, the virgin will give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel, God with us. Who is the us? Let me ask you this. When nations go to war, which side is God on? When we have an election, which party is God with? Who is God with? Who is God committed to? 
you need to see this, that Matthew is writing to the early church and these believers were being persecuted intensely. In fact, the Romans saw Christianity as so subversive that they met in underground caves and caverns. They met with fear of reprisal. Every time they met, they could find themselves in deep trouble. Our freedom to meet here this morning is highly unusual across history. You need to think about that. Here in 2019 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Hardy Street Baptist Church, for us to gather like millions of others that are gathering around the world, this is unique among history. If you and I lived 2,000 years ago and we woke up on December the 8th and we were going to go to church, the question would not be, do I like the music at that church? Are my friends going to be there? What's the weather like? It looks a little cloudy. I don't know if I'm going to go or not. It might rain. No, you know what the question would have been? Can I risk going there and getting back safely? Will I be arrested? Will I be tortured or even killed? Can I risk getting caught? I I could tell you about what happened to some of those believers that were caught in those days. And and, And it's probably not appropriate for a Sunday morning family gathering, but you need to know it. I would encourage every one of you to get a a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. John Fox recorded the deaths of believers from the very first days of the church through about the 16th century or so. And he pointed out the, the, the horrific things that happened, but the costliness of their faith and their stories in vivid and awful reality tell how hard it was for them to follow Jesus. But they did so. And they did so because they knew God with us can I just tell you that reading that book will cause you to repent of being a wimp why have I ever complained about being a follower I've never met persecution Matthew's writing to these communities of believers around the Roman Empire and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he writes the name given to him is God with us they're facing overwhelming power of a a military dictatorship and God is with us we can endure this and even thrive because of the glorious promise that God is with us it's amazing to me if you look at how Matthew's gospel ends go to the very end of it we call it the Great Commission all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and I will be with you even to the end of the age. It's like a parenthesis at the beginning. Here's all of the historical genealogy of Jesus Christ that points us to the fact that he was a kept promise from the Old Testament. And it says, God's with us. And he goes all the way to the end, and he closes the book in by saying, I am with you. And the church grew and blossomed, in fact, exploded exponentially. Why? Because they knew Jesus was alive. They knew Jesus was with them. The presence of God, the one who created everything, is with those persecuted believers. And he's with us when we submit ourselves to him and surrender to him. And he is our God. You you think about this. Was there any hope if you're in that situation? Is there hope of your friends and family coming to Christ? I mean, they had to weigh out very real circumstances. I could be killed for saying Jesus is Lord. Can you imagine... Inviting someone to church in a cave? You ever thought about that? In the New Testament, 
I mean, you're talking to a friend, you're in the market, and you say, we're going to gather. I'm going to gather with my brothers and sisters. My life has been transformed by Jesus. And your friend says, does your church have cool music? (laughs) Well, no, we whisper when we sing, so we're not caught. Does your church have comfortable seats? Well, actually, we sit on the ground, and it's a little damp in there, and sometimes it's cool. Does your church have child care or a coffee house or good parking? No, but God's with us. And that ought to be more than enough. My question is this. Is God with you enough? Do you have to have all the external trappings of of blessing and, and other things? Do you have to have experiences? Do you have to have all the bells and whistles of what you think church ought to be like or life ought to be like, or is it enough to say God is with me? Because when God is with you, everything changes. It changed for them. The world changed in this moment. Behold, look, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Does anybody really believe that God has bound himself to these people? They, they were struggling and being persecuted. The reason that they were known and marked out and growing was because there was such an absolute undeniable presence of God upon them. That's what Matthew's saying. That was the conviction of the early church that compelled them in the face of difficulty. So my next question is this. If God descended and would condescend to dwell with believing people, do you think you could too? I'll just be honest, there's some weird people in churches these days. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. Don't you either. Don't point at them. There's some odd ducks. All of us have got hurts and habits and hang-ups. And if you're laughing more than you should, maybe, just maybe, Mackenzie Pearson, what is so funny? She's turning as red as Wesley Breland did when he found out he was leading singing tonight at the zoo. We're a strange bunch, aren't we? But we're redeemed people in the hands of a loving God who would condescend and be with us. If people are believers in Christ, you better fellowship with them. You know why? Because God's with them. If God is with us, what part of the Great Commission? This is the final question. I didn't put it on the screen, but I want you to write it down. If God is with us, what part of the Great Commission task can we not? Pastor, it's too hard. The culture's too far gone. There's a liberal agenda. There's a a lifestyle agenda. There there are too many forces at work, and the church is losing its influence. If God is with us, you can face all overwhelming odds. If God is with us, we need each other. And if God is with us, then we can charge into the world knowing that what he said is true. All authority has been given to me. And you shall be my witnesses. And he goes on very, very pointedly there in the Great Commission and tells us that I want you to make disciples of all peoples everywhere in my name and I am with you. The promise of his purpose, his power, and his grace right there. The ultimate final question is this. Can you honestly this morning say that Emmanuel is a title that fits? You can say God's with me. 
if he's not, if you've never experienced the resurrection or power of Jesus Christ that I'm talking about today, you can be saved. You can trust him and apply what he did on Calvary's cross to your sin debt. He paid for your debt. He willingly, longingly, lovingly wants to give to you forgiveness, but you must receive that gift. In just a moment, we're going to sing, and as we sing, we'll have prayer partners here at the front. We call them encouragers. There's members of our staff and other members of the church. They would love to meet with you and pray with you over the deepest needs of your life. They won't embarrass you in any way or hurt you or harm you. They simply want to pray with you and encourage you. I would, I would encourage you just to step out from wherever you are and talk to them. Today, if, if you've not had the power of God in your life, if you can't say, Emmanuel, God with me is true, then come today and be saved. Maybe today the need of your life and the desire of your heart is to unite with this church. We would love for that to happen. Just come and take one of these encouragers by the hand and they will share with you how you can be a part of this faith family. But this Christmas season, whether you're hurried or stuffed or broke, I pray that you would experience God who has come near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the, the significance of this phrase that you are with us. God, do the work that only you can do in this place, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together as we sing.